0: Uh, We're going to be continuing in our series titled uh, In the Beginning. And this uh, series is really about understanding our distant past so that we can understand our present, but also so that we can understand our distant future. Today we're going to be looking at the seventh day in the creation narrative, a day that ties the whole of Genesis 1 together. And so if you've got your Bibles, hopefully you're already at Genesis 2 because we're going to be looking at the theme of rest in the Bible, this theme of ultimate rest in the Bible, Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Very short passage today, three verses. And quite a repetitive passage, if you noticed. Uh, Whenever we read the Bible and we see these sorts of repetition, uh, it means pay attention. It means the point is important. This is really important. Pay attention, don't get it wrong. And what is this point? The point is simple. God rested... After making everything, the whole creation was finished. It was done, completed in all its fullness, uh, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. And that word, all the host of them, it just means that everything that is within creation. In fact, uh, the seventh day is mentioned three times, work is mentioned three times, and rest is mentioned twice. The point is this, creation is done. We've reached the point where it is done. There is no new creation after this point. We we can't expect any extra things to be created out of nothing. A planet's not just going to pop into existence. There's going to be new no new galaxy that suddenly just comes into existence out of nowhere, materializes out of nothing. All the energy, the atoms, the building blocks of this universe are all into uh, have all come into existence and God has rested from his work of creation. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, some have interpreted this passage thinking God is some sort of divine clockmaker. You know, some clockmaker comes along, makes a clock, puts all the pieces necessary in order to get the clock to work, winds it up, and then lets it go. And now the clock is working. And a lot of people think God is like this divine clockmaker. He winds up the universe like a clock, and then he lets it go. God's kind of uninvolved from creation. He's separate from creation. He sort of watches it from a distance as history unfolds. Um, and really, if that's your view of creation, that's your view of God, then it's really hard to know whether or not God actually cares about us. It's really hard to know whether or not He has a plan. If He's just sitting away and watching this clock sort of unfold, then we have a bit of a problem. But we know the Scriptures don't teach this. For instance, Colossians 1.17, he, being Jesus, is before all things and in him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all of the creation holds together. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Oh, that's a great phrase. Love that phrase. According to Paul, Jesus, God holds all things together. The universe continues and it continues the way that it is purely because God wills it to. He upholds everything by the word of his power. And so if God is not a divine clockmaker, what kind of rest are we talking about in Genesis 2? What kind of rest are we talking about? When we think of rest, we're usually thinking, you know, um, you know, someone's worked really hard. They've labor, they've labored hard. They've they're taking a break. They're taking a smoker. They're laying down for some moments to recover. Uh, last week, I went out and mowed the lawn, and uh, Beck asked me if I should wear, I, you know, I probably should wear some sunscreen and a hat. And I was like, yeah, nah, nah, I'm alright. Went out anyway. got savaged by the sun, covered in sweat. Uh, I was just like red. I'm still peeling on my shoulders. Um, and he just get back in and, man, I was tired. I was working in the you know hot sun and I just wanted to have a nap. That is not what God is doing here. He didn't create the universe after six days and need a little nap. God does not get tired. Uh, in Hebrew, in fact, the word for rest is Shabbat. And it, some of the more cluey of you might know what that word means. Um, and it doesn't necessarily imply that someone is tired. In fact, it doesn't imply that at all. It simply means to cease working, to stop working. The reason God rested is very simple. The work was done. It was done. He didn't need to create anything anymore because everything had been made. He rested. He ceased from work. He ceased from work. And so we see in this passage, we see the end of the seventh day. Three verses. But do we? Do we actually see the end of the seventh day? Do you remember our formula? Uh, some of you guys, you won't hear for our previous sermons, but we had a formula we were sort of working through on the days where God would do these different things throughout every day. The first thing He would do was He would create by His Word. Do we see Him creating anything on the seventh day by His Word? Of course not. He ceased from His creation. Number two, God names the things He created. We don't see that here either. He doesn't name anything. Uh Third, we see that the day would end. There was evening, there was morning, and, you know, such and such day. Do we see that here? Not at all. But we do see one thing in our formula. Do you remember the other thing? God separating things. Separating things. You might say, hang on a minute, Cody, where do we see that? Comes to this word, holy. Holy. To be holy basically means, in Hebrew, to be cut off, to be separate, to be elevated and placed above. God makes the seventh day holy, and he places it above every other day of creation. He places it above every other day. It was a day to be remembered to be set apart and remembered and celebrated and memorialized. It was a day that was to be held in high regard because of all the wondrous things God had made. All the things he had made in those previous six days. God blessed this day and he made it holy and he set a design for the rest of creation every seven days. And the seventh day in English, we call it Saturday, is the day that should be set apart to remember the fact that God rested and it was set apart to be a holy day, and it still is. And it's interesting that this day has no end. There's no evening and morning on the seventh day. At least for now, we see that there's no end to it. And it shows us that creation sort of enters into this time of unprecedented peace, rest, completion. We saw last week that it was very good. And it's not just that God is resting from His salvation, uh, Sorry, from his um, creation, He's not just taking time off. After creating the entire universe, God looks around, stops, and enjoys all that He has made. We don't know how long this period of rest. We don't know how long this period of the seventh day lasted for. Uh, There would have been a 24-hour period. But at this point, God sees the beauty and the majesty of creation free from sin, and He delighted in it. Oceans, rivers, lakes with pristine, crystal-clear water, teeming with life. Lush rainforests full of birds and animals, cascading waterfalls down cliff edges, sparkling blue skies, stunning sunsets, nights without light pollution. Imagine it. Seeing all the stars, not an ounce of light pollution there, white sandy beaches, colourful flowers, and this garden he had where he had perfect fellowship with men. I remember on uh, my honeymoon I went to Milford Sound and uh, it's probably one of the most... Anyone who's been there, it's one of the most magical places to ever go. This place gets about seven metres of rainfall a year. It's one of the wettest places on earth. Uh, It's home to fur seals and penguins and dolphins, and it's got this complex marine life. And as you go through it, it rains so much, that there's so much water density, that down these rainforest-edged cliffs are thousands and thousands of waterfalls every day. And those waterfalls can only last about 20 minutes unless more rain comes. But it rains almost every day of the year. So much rain comes in that there's about two to six metres of fresh water that lies on top of the salt water. It's literally like a freshwater ocean because it goes out to the ocean. You can dive down and drink this water even though you're at sea level. It's quite amazing. It is one of the most beautiful places. I remember we went to this underwater observatory and there's like all these fish swimming around and it's one of the most like amazing places on earth and it's amazing because we see creation now. We see some amazing spots, all the beauty and we see it marred by sin, but it is still so beautiful. It is still so beautiful. Imagine what it was like on the 7th day. Imagine what it was like. God stopped And he delighted in all that he had made. And there was no command given to Adam and Eve to rest. Why not? Because they had already entered into that magnificent rest of the seventh day. Work was not toilsome nor a problem. But this did not last forever. Mankind was originally appointed to rule and reign as kings and queens over creation. We saw that. But we were deceived. There was rebellion against God as Creator. Isaiah 59:2 points this out. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. As we're going to find out in later weeks, as we get to Genesis 3, we see that mankind rebelled. Sin brought in with it corruption, decay, death, chaos, and it leads to this separation between God and man. The seventh day rest is gone. It's gone. Humans now fight back and work endlessly to keep back the chaos until that day when we all die and return to the dust from which we came. The book of Ecclesiastes calls this toil and inevitable death, vanity. Some translations say meaningless. The seventh day rest has been lost and it's been replaced with laborious toil and death. Genesis 1 begins with darkness, disorder, chaos, and God's word came in and brought about light and order. That same power, God's presence, has now departed, and darkness, disorder, and chaos enter back into his creation. And as we continue through the book of Genesis, you're going to see these things spelled out. This is the book of Genesis is really not a book that you want to read to your children. Maybe the first three chapters, because we see in this book a world of chaos, murder, rape sexual depravity, theft, famine, floods. The creation is literally breaking out against humanity and humanity is breaking out against itself. And we see this kind of depravity at work in all of creation, this carnage. And in the midst of this carnage, God has not forgotten us. Because we get to Genesis 12. When God claims for himself a people, it begins with one man. There was nothing special about this man that we know as Abram. He was likely a pagan, just like the world around him. But this is where we see clearly God's grace. He chose Abram from out of all the nations around him and gave him a promise. We see it in Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God promises to Abram to give him many descendants, we see in verse 2 to 4, and this land flowing with milk and honey, where God will make his name great. But God was not just promising him land. Guess what he was promising him? Rest. Now, wait a minute. You might say to me, Hey on, how can we know that? I don't see the word rest whatsoever in the Abrahamic covenant what's going on? Well, if we have a close look at the Bible's narrative, uh, Abram's descendant doesn't, don't end up in the promised land initially. Where do they end up? Egypt. Slaves. Enslaved in Egypt, working for Pharaoh and working every day. Not a single day of rest. Imagine that. Working every day. moment you wake up to the moment you sleep, they were slaves. By the sweat of their brow with this faint hope that one day God promised he was going to rescue them and give them This land, bring them freedom. And we see in the story of Exodus, this series of plagues come upon Egypt. And what happens? God rescues them. He gives them freedom from slavery. He leads them out into the wilderness by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He feeds them from manna that falls from the sky and causes water to gush from a rock. God was literally fighting back the chaos before them in the desert to give them rest. What happened to the Israelites? What did they do while they were in the wilderness? We read it in Psalm 95. They grumbled. They complained. They ultimately didn't want it. They didn't want that freedom. They actually liked their old life as slaves. But look how God responded. We'll read Psalm 95, 7 to 11 again. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Huh. Rest. The promised land that they were going to enter, what, did what, what does God call it here? Rest. Rest. The ultimate Sabbath. That generation had wallowed in unbelief and did not get to see the promised land. They did not enter that rest, but rather they fell under God's judgment and wrath. But in the book of Joshua, we see this next generation enter into the promised land. They went with God's law, which you can read about it from Exodus to Deuteronomy. And a massive part of the law was regarding this word Sabbath. Have any of you guys read about the Sabbath? Have you heard about it before? Well, I've got something for you. Deuteronomy 5.15. When it's talking about the Sabbath, look at this language. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. And an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Huh. How is Israel being released as slaves from captivity? Look how it's tied to rest, the Sabbath. That day on that Saturday when it was set aside to rest, and God reminded the Israelites, you know, you guys used to be slaves. You used to work seven days a week with no rest, no recovery, but now you are free. Rest every seventh day, every Saturday. Cease from work just as I cease from work in creation. Now, if you haven't realized that number seven, the number seven is a big deal in the Bible. It's a big deal, number seven. It kind of represents completion or fullness. In fact, if you read more of the law, you will find that every year, Israel had to keep seven festivals. Now, you're going to get sick of hearing the number seven in a second. The last festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, was celebrated at harvest time and was used to signify this future event when the nations would come together and enter into God's rest. But there's more. Every seven years was a year of Sabbath for the land. No crops could be sowed. It gave the land an opportunity to Uh, rest it's actually a very smart smart, uh, farming strategy it allows the topsoil to recover Um, and so Israel had to observe all these things seven festivals every single year every seven day they had to rest on the Sabbath and then every seventh year they weren't allowed to sow anything anymore but these paled in comparison to this next one every seven times seven years that's every 49 years there would be a year of jubilee Have you guys heard about that? The year of Jubilee. It's a year when all debts are forgiven, land is restored to people who had lost it, slaves were free, it's this time of great rejoicing and celebration. In fact, the word Jubilee literally means a shout of joy. It was a good year, the Jubilee year. Let's read about it, Leviticus 25, 8 to 10. It says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that The time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the 7th month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee, a joy for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. And all these things, these seven days with which... Six days to work, one day to rest, seven festivals a year. The land rested for every seven years, every seven times seven years, this amazing year of Jubilee, all it pointed towards a rest. This final, ultimate rest back in Genesis 2, when there was that beautiful rest of creation and everything was the way it was meant to be. The number seven is important. It's this foretaste, this shadow of something. God restoring this rest but we're not done with the sevens <laughs> there's actually a lot I, I, I had to cut out some uh, the gospel of matthew tells us that from abraham to king david there were 14 generations seven times two roughly uh and it, between them there was roughly 490 years because every generation was technically 35 times it by anyway uh, You'll be sick of hearing these numbers, but uh, you got King David to then uh, all these 14 generations of kings. What happened during those 14 generations of kings? Well, they worshipped other gods. They went astray. They didn't worship the true God. They forfeited their right to this rest that God had given them in the land, and the nation of Israel was destroyed. They were deported to Babylon, and what happened there? They were slaves again. They went from Egypt, finally got the promised land, and now they're in captivity back where they started. All because they rejected God, and they were back in this Genesis 3 world of chaos and disorder, a world we know all too well. And at this point, the hope for future rest for the Israelites was almost kind of gone. It's extinguished. They were hoping for this ultimate Jubilee, and every time the Jubilee came around and it was supposed to be a year of joy, what happened? Mourning. Because they did not have the land, they did not have the promise. And generations go by, and they're still waiting. Another 14 generations passed, and an important figure shows up. Do you know who it is? Jesus of Nazareth. And on the seventh year, a Sabbath, on the day when all of Israel was resting and going to the synagogue in order to worship, Jesus goes into the synagogue with them at the beginning of his ministry. He requested that the scroll of Isaiah be brought to him and this is what we read Luke 4:17 And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom, sort of like a mic drop moment, or like a scroll drop, I guess. Jesus quotes from Isaiah. What do we see in Isaiah? This great promise that God made to Israel, this future jubilee, they're going into exile. They're going to be slaves there, but God has not forgotten them. He has not forgotten them. There is a future year of the Lord's favour, a future rest. All captives would be released. There'd be freedom and rest was going to be restored. Jesus was claiming that the seventh day rest of Genesis 2 was going to be fulfilled through him. He was the ultimate jubilee rest. We see elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He liberates people from sickness. Have you noticed how many times he walks around and heals people on the Sabbath? It gets him into a lot of trouble. There are many reasons he does it, but I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Because it seemed that Jesus would restore to Israel this long-awaited rest, that he was pushing back the chaos and darkness, the sickness, the death, the misery, and he did it on the Sabbath for a reason, because he was showing them what it would be like. That final day when that full Rest of God comes back, but something happens. Didn't quite go to plan in terms of what the disciples thought. Jesus died. He was sentenced to death by the Roman authorities, and he was crucified. But check this out. Do you know when he died? Friday evening. Do you know what Friday evening is? The beginning of the Sabbath. It's the beginning of the Sabbath. And his body rested in the tomb on the seventh day for the full Sabbath. And on Sunday morning, on the eighth day, he rose again. What, the eighth day? Well, the first day of a new week. The first day of a new creation. Jesus is the one who gives us a new kind of rest. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the rest that Israel was commanded to observe, was but a shadow of the things to come. It was a shadow of the things to come. It was a shadow to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. Paul says in uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it's very clear. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new mean or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Paul's making a bold claim. This Sabbath rest, this seventh day rest, points us to Jesus. Now, historically, the Hebrews would meet on the Sabbath, the Saturday. They would meet on a Saturday to worship God, to hear from His words, to sing Psalms. That sounds relatively familiar, doesn't it? We may have noticed that Christians don't meet on Saturday. We meet on the first day of the week, a Sunday. We call that the Lord's Day. Why do we do this? Why do Christians meet on a Sunday? Well, we meet on the Sunday because Jesus rose again from the dead on the Sunday, the first day of the week, the first day of a new creation. The Sabbath gave testimony to God's work in creation. When God created everything after six days, we get the seventh day, and we remember that God made everything. We get to the first day now, and we memorialize Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus rose again from the first. That's why you read the book of Acts. When do the Christians meet? The first day of the week. Resurrection Sunday. We come here every Sunday, the first day of the week, to proclaim this new creation, to remember Jesus' resurrection. But there's a key difference. Notice this. The Hebrews worked six days a week. All their toil, all their work, all their labor was done on those six days, and they rested on the seventh day. What about the Christian? We rest on the first day of the week. And all our toil comes out of our rest. All of our toil comes out of the rest we find in Jesus. Because we know that Jesus ultimately did it all for us. All our work, everything for us. So what do we do with the Sabbath? Some of you guys may know that it shows up in the Ten Commandments. And we are by no means a church that disregards the Ten Commandments. If Sunday is the new time we meet together and not Saturday, then what do we do with this commandment regarding the Sabbath? Well, we see in our Colossians, we weren't, we're not supposed to judge anyone as to how they keep the Sabbath, because the Sabbath points to Jesus. But we're really lucky, because we have a Sabbath and we have a Sunday. that's why Western culture has a two-day weekend pretty awesome. We, we could work six days a week or seven days a week depending on what culture you lived in. But we get a weekend. So what do you do on a Sabbath? How should Christians view the Sabbath? Well, this is my suggestion and that is all it is. It's just a suggestion. If the Sabbath was made for man, as Jesus says, this is how I think we can keep it. to take a break from work. Don't toil and work all week because God rested and we're not greater than God. Get out of the house into God's creation. If Sabbath, if the seventh day was a memorial to God's creation, get out into it as much as you can. If it's like 46 degrees, chuck the aircon on, but as much as you can, get into God's creation. Get out of the house. Take your family out. Meet with other people from church. Meet with other family members. Have fellowship. Take time to pray and read your Bible. Sing, laugh, feast. Have joy in what God has made. Because even though all these things are tainted by sin, they're still good. They still reflect God's goodness. Go for a swim in the beach. Swim in your pool. Rest on the Saturday if you can. Rest on the Saturday if you're able. If you have to work on a Saturday, I understand that some of us have to work on a Saturday Do this on another day. But don't feel guilty about resting because God literally commands us, rest. Rest from your toil. Take your family out. Have fun. Have joy. Have a jubilee. Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. But for Christians, we also have the Sunday. And when you believe in Jesus, you enter into his rest and it is not a rest that you earned. It is a rest that was won for you. Jesus has done all the work. Hebrews tells us all you need to do is enter. Enter into that rest. Hebrews 3, 8-11 For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In context, what's been talked about here is the Israelites in the wilderness did not get to enter into the promised land rest. But Jesus is now our Sabbath rest. You can read more about that in Hebrews 3. We work out of a place of rest, not out of a place of toil. The writer of Hebrews tells us to strive to enter that rest interesting language it's like work to rest toil to rest what's going on there it's like sounds a little contradictory well the israelites who were disobedient and unbelieving did not enter into the rest into this rest the writer of hebrews does not want us to make the same mistake don't don't just assume you're a christian don't make the assumption that you're a Christian because you were raised in a Christian home, you go to church, you pray, you read your Bible. None of those things make you a Christian. The choice is simple. Are you going to enter into the rest of Jesus and believe in his name or are you going to reject him? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The question really is this. Will you come to him? It's not will i do this but will i come to jesus we don't know how long the seventh day rest in genesis 2 lasted we don't know how long things were perfect in god's creation before sin entered in but we know that it pointed to our future everlasting rest in jesus a rest without end unlike genesis 2 this rest will never end and it will become the new normal in the new heavens and the new earth we will find that home and peace Everything that you long for, that sense of belonging is found in Jesus. So know that while we may have chaos and darkness in this world, and we do, of course we do, Jesus invites you to take and taste real rest in Him. Go to Him for rest. Go to Him when you are weak and you need strength. Go to Him because ultimately you are weak. You cannot save yourself. If it was left up to you, to stand before a holy God who knows everything you have done. You couldn't stand before this room if we played everything you've done. And so many people in this world feel like they can stand before a holy God. Rest in Jesus because He is the only one who can save you. Go to Him for that rest, because those who fall in disobedience and unbelief, just like the Israelites did in the wilderness, will not enter the kingdom of God. Do not take these things lightly. Let's pray. Father, for six days you made all this, this wondrous creation that we see around us, that you spoke it into existence through your intelligence and majesty and might. And Lord, who are we to shake our fists, to rebel against you, to think that we're in control, to think that you are not sovereign? Father, we pray, help us to enter into that seventh day rest, that rest that was lost when everything went astray, when sin entered in, when rebellion entered in, when we were deceived, Lord. But thank you that you did not leave us, you did not forsake us, you did not let us wallow in this misery and pain and suffering and brokenness, but you entered in and you took our burden and you took our death and you gave us this ultimate rest, this jubilee that we can long for and hope for. And even, Lord, though we may toil and suffer here, we know that through Jesus we'll have true rest. And Lord, you invite all people to come to you, those who are heavy laden, those who are weary, to find rest. I pray, Lord, for my friends who do not know you. Lord, would they come and find that rest? We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.